Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is May the 2nd, 2017. This is episode 1,994 of the Survival Podcast. Can you believe we're only six episodes away from the 2,000th episode of this show? It's Tuesday, that means it's a Just Jack show, and I've got a show for you today called Can Insurrection and Unity Coexist? Yeah, I want to talk about insurrection today. And I know that's a scary word for some people. It conjures up ideas of terrorism and bombs and fires and wars. And But insurrection is something that's that's gone on in this country for a very long time. And it's actually brought us a lot of great victories. Uh, and the foundation of our nation was one of insurrection. Not just in its, its, its core forming. Not just a British out, we're running our own thing. You know, and we had the Articles of Confederation, which were pretty close in many ways, not always, but many ways, to a voluntarist society. Um, but the founders themselves and what their views were, let me give you a quote here, and you tell me if you know who said this. If a law is unjust, a man is not only right to disobey it, he is obligated to do so. If a law is unjust, a man is not only right to disobey it, he is obligated to do so. That would be Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson said that. And I think throughout history we can see places where those who disobeyed unjust laws, when things worked out the right way, were actually seen as heroes. Think about people who risked their lives to hide Jews and gypsies in, in Hitler's Europe. How those people are viewed today. Because they disobeyed the law. We're not going to really talk about disobeying the law in a direct way today, and we're certainly not only going to talk about it in that way. We're going to talk about the spirit of insurrection. My belief is that a, a society formed by insurrection can only be maintained through insurrection. Now, not quite in the belief that our founder, Mr. Jefferson, had. He kind of thought there should be a you know blood and guts war once every 20 or 30 years. The tree of liberty you know, grows thirsty, so to say. Um, I think that in a society like we have, where there are as many tools as we have, uh, and with the evolution that we're going through right now with technology, insurrection can take on a whole new, uh, a new, whole new way of being through things like proactive apathy and more things like that that we'll be talking about in just a bit. It'll all make sense when we get to it, trust me. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, have you ever thought about making a knife from scratch but just felt it was too complicated? Well, at KnifeKits.com, anyone can learn to make great knives, even me. From the total newbie to the master bladesmith, they have everything you need to make great knives, kydex sheaths, and more. Find it all at KnifeKits.com. Guys, you know, prepping involves evaluating your primary survival needs of food, water, shelter, security, and energy, and then shoring them up. That's really the most simple way to understand it in a nutshell. In that effort, ready-made resources is the go-to place to get that done. Everything, and I do mean everything for your prepping needs. Ready-made, ready to go at readymaderesources.com. And our TSP business directory supporter of, the, supporter of the day is Ort Wayne International. They're a certified factory armorer serving civilian law enforcement and military markets. They have law enforcement equipment offices in Michigan, Oregon, and Washington. Visit their website through the link in the TSP business directory. Again, that's Ort Wayne 
internationally. You can check them out. Good supporter of the community here at the Survival Podcast, which all of the people in the business directory are. If Think about that. If they're in that business directory, they are members of this community, and you should consider doing business with them if you have a need for what they offer. Do business first in your own community. We'll be talking about that a bit more today as well. Before we do that, though, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1996 because the episode is 1996. We have Who Shot Down TWA Flight 800. We also have The Electric Car is here, both of those by Alex Shrugged. Some notable births. Sophia Turner, who is Susanna Stark on HBO's Game of Thrones. Don't know anything about that. Tom Holland, who's the new Spider-Man. I guess that's the new, new, new Spider-Man, I guess. And Haley Steinfeld, who is Petra in Ender's Game. I uh, love the movie, but the book is better. Don't know anything about that either. I guess I'm showing my age here or something. I don't know. Notable deaths this year. Know all of these people. Uh, George Burns, age 100, of cardiac arrest. He played the Almighty in Oh God. I loved George Burns. He smoked a black cigar every day of his life and made it to 100. That says something. Uh, Carl Sagan died at age 62 of pneumonia from TV's Cosmos. It was a sad day when I heard that Mr. Sagan had passed away, especially that's quite young for our modern times. Mark Leonard passed away at age 72 of a type of blood cancer. He was Spock's father, Sarek, in Star Trek The Original and Next Generation Series. Greg Morris, age 62, of brain cancer. Barney on TV's Mission Impossible. Um, and Tupac Secure, who died at age 25 of a drive-by shooting. He will continue to sell recordings, reaching 75 million units by 2007. They say records, but in 1996, compact discs are outselling all other media types. Uh, this year in film, Independence Day. Um, I loved that movie. Not because it was a great movie, because it was great special effects and big screen TVs were coming around and surround sound systems. And it was the uh, kind of like the 90s version of Top Gun from the sound studio like thing. Like when you got a big screen TV, one of the first things you wanted to watch once it was available was Independence Day on that big screen TV. Twister, I thought that was a good movie. Star Trek First Contact. Um, I thought that was a better movie than the first Next Generation movie. And also Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire, and Matilda. And uh, this year in TV, The Daily Show came out. Judge Judy, Seventh Heaven, Third Rock from the Sun. I liked that show. And Fox News premieres featuring Your World with Neil Cavuto, Neil Cavuto Hannity and Combs, now just Hannity, and The O'Reilly Factor, now canceled. This year in music, Macarena. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about that in a second. We know that's not getting played on the air here. And if you want to be my lover by the Spice Girls, how can I make you see? It matters to me by Faith Hill, and all I want is a life from Tim McGraw. Okay, so Macarena. Uh, I think what a lot of people don't know about this, and I just learned this in this 90s documentary that I, 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 I listened to. Um, it was released first in 93, and it was re-released with English lyrics added with the girl singing in 1996, and the reason was this song was all the rage at the dance clubs in Miami, and the Florida DJs wanted to play this song because they thought it would get good airtime, but with not any words in English at all, they were reluctant to do so. So they went to Los Del Rio, who did the song, and said, can you make an English-language version of this song? And they brought in, basically, this, this gal, Carmen or something like that, who sang the part that you actually understand the words to, and then Los Del Rio just kept repeating the chorus over and over in between her singing, or part of the chorus. So uh, I looked this up, but what does this all mean? And uh, it's, it's basically the body is meant to be pleased. And uh, the, in the original version, Macarena is this girl whose boyfriend has gone off to join the army, and he's swearing an oath under their flag, and she's hooking up with his two friends. 
his two friends, not one friend, two friends, and everybody else. I'm not going to say it. You could extrapolate it yourself who Macarena is in this, but it's probably not what you thought it was when everybody was out there doing the stupid dance, especially at the Democratic National Convention when Hillary Clinton busted off with the Mark Macarena. Saw that in the 90s documentary thing, too. Uh, this year in video games, Quake, first-person shooter with full retime 3D rendering, Tomb Raider, it's Laura Croft, Resident Evil, thus begins the survival horror genre. The film comes six years later. Nintendo 64 is released. It is called the first true 64-bit home console, but I'd call it the first one that works, says Alex Shrugged. Um, let's take a look at the electric car is here from Alex Shrugged. Actually, the electric car has been here since the early 20th century, but California is enforcing their new ZEV program. That is zero emissions vehicles. The law requires that a certain percentage of the new car sales from the manufacturer must produce zero pollution. At this time, that means battery-powered cars. So General Motors has come out with the EV1. It runs on lead-acid batteries and can take you about 70 to 100 miles on charge. Since its full charge can take eight hours, the car is only good for local hops. Next year, an improved battery set will extend the range and reduce the battery weight. These cars will, are only for lease. The lease payment ranges from $349 to $574 a month, depending on the government subsidies available. The actual market value of the vehicle is undetermined, but some say it costs $80,000 to make. Others say a lot more. In the end, only a little over 1,000 EV1s will be released. Uh, GM will take them all back and crush them. This little experiment in zero emissions vehicles proves that no one wants an electric car. My take by Alex Shrugged. Really? I'm not so sure. The EV1 had some problems, but radio talk show host Neil Bortz drove one of them and loved it. The problem was that the batteries often wore out before the lease was up and required replacement. It was an economic loser, but maybe that was the point. Sometimes a company will produce a certain type of machine because it's required by law or by an industry standard, but not because any customers will want it. I think GM wanted the EV1 to fail in order to prove a California Air Quality Board that zero emissions vehicles don't sell. Thus, placing artificial sales quotas on electric cars was ridiculous. Once that was proven, GM crushed the cars because those rolling advertisements for clean air might build up a following, and then GM might actually have to produce them. But until they can get that range up, meaning a longer battery life, electric cars will remain a novelty for rich people. I think the concept that, that industry has killed the electric car is largely overblown, if not completely not true. Um, people that make cars will make any car that you will buy at a profit. That's, that's how they make money. And if the ability came out tomorrow for GM to release a car that ran on piss and they could do it at a profit, they would do it. And they wouldn't give a damn what Exxon says. They really wouldn't. They would, they, it's about infrastructure. Can you actually refuel it? You're going to plug it in with an extension cord to your house, right? Um, can you pee in it fast enough if it ran on piss, whatever? But car companies, whatever's doable and legal and will sell out a profit, they'll make it because that's the business that they're in. And the, the, the fundamental reality is in 1996, the electronics just weren't there yet. And California tried to jump, you know, kind of a jump the shark moment, I guess, where you, you try to make something happen, but it fails. Some of you know what the jump the shark moment is. Um, you're really old if you know that. But um, it was like California's jump the shark mo moment. They tried to make this a thing before it was doable as a thing. Now, because it wasn't doable, might... GM have made it a little worse than it had to be? Probably. But I think there's another thing that 
comes along here uh, not very long after, and that's major government subsidies of giant gas-guzzling vehicles that really put the kibosh on this for another decade. But in the end, you have companies today coming out with these vehicles, not because there's a policy that says they have to, because they know if they can get it right, they're going to sell. They're going to sell. And uh, they're working on it. But it's not as clean energy as you've been led to believe. Look at some of the holes left in the ground to mine the rare earth minerals that are used to actually produce the batteries for these vehicles. Um, I don't think it's something to give up on, though. I think it's something that we'll see more and more of and better and better technology developed. And what's, what it's really going to take is the technology to make a continuous recycling of the material that makes the batteries possible. That, that's, that's the key here because you can only strip mine so many rare earth metals before you have to admit what you're doing is not sustainable. So they have to find a way to make that sustainable. Autonomous vehicles, less vehicles on the road and total headcount, things like that. Uber-like services that are automated, all coming in our future, are all things that may make this even more viable. With that, let's, uh, let's talk real quick before we get into the main topic of today's show about the MSB. Um, I want you to consider joining the MSB today, and I want to let you know something about it. Uh, I ran a sale last week, first year of MSB for 30 bucks. What I did to be nice and kind of do a surprise for people is it wasn't just first year for 30 bucks. It was first year and renewals. If you got in on the sale last week, you got locked in at a $30 rate. However, when I set it up, I screwed something up, and so many people had trouble joining. And I'm sure a lot of people that went to join, it didn't work, and they just said, the hell with this, I don't need this crap, Jack, and, and didn't you know contact me to fix it. And when I finally figured what had happened, I had limited how many people could partake in the sale by accident. Usually I only limit the date range. So I fixed the glitch. Um, but that was like Wednesday before I figured it out, and I launched the sale Monday. And I just let it ride to see how it would work out. And uh, you know, people started getting the sale again, but I didn't really push it through the week because I had the screw-up there. And uh, so what I decided to do is bring it back this week. I'm running it from Tuesday, which is today, till Monday the 8th. Um, same deal. Uh, Spring 17 is the discount code. You can get your MSB for $30 a year and lock in at that rate. Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to the blog post on it, but uh, use this code SPRING17 when you join. Go to the, the site, click on sign up, and you can join with PayPal that way, and the discount should work. Um, great deal. Great stuff in the MSB. I'll leave it at that for today. And I'm sorry to those of you last week that tried to use the discount code and it didn't work, who, who also did not reach out to me because I fixed it for every single person that reached out to me. Uh, give me another chance. I want to earn your business. This is uh, a new members only. If you want to renew with this deal, you have to do it by mail. I can't do it online. It's not because I won't do it. It's because the way PayPal and my member software works, I can't do it. It just doesn't work. Okay, Because you have an active membership. It would create double billing. It's a real problem. Anyway, Spring 17, consider joining the MSP today. With that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. Um, let's kind of take a trip back here on my evolution toward the concept of voluntarism or as it's also known, anarchism. But I try not to use that word very much anymore. Um, but I think it's necessary to use that word today a little bit, at least here in the beginning. When I started this show, I was what you would call a minarchist libertarian. Uh, over the years, I made the logical migration to full-on voluntarist. And it is a logical migration, but I have to be honest, until you make it, you can't see that it is. It doesn't make any sense. When you're for small government, the concept of no state doesn't make sense. And that's okay, because this is not a show like, let's all become voluntarists today. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but more about how we can create smaller government and less government and fight regulations today through proactive apathy and active insurrection. Um, so you don't have to sign on to the full voluntarist belief system to get a lot out of today's show. But many people that are of anarchist ideology, and I think this does a lot of harm to the movement, see no value in things like national borders or any love of country. I am not such a person, though I'm labeled as such at certain times. The truth is, in all things, I am first a pragmatist. It is great to know how things should be so that we can strive for that, but it's also important to know how things are so we can adapt to and overcome them in the now. To me, anarchy is something for humanity to one day rise up to rather than descend into, as the fearmongers would say. In the end, though, we have what we have today. And honestly, the U.S., despite our flaws, we do have many opportunities and recognize rights that many other nations do not. Part of me loves my country, more accurately, the ideals of my country. The ideal, for instance, that all men are created equal in regard to rights. That each of us should have the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think that is a common ideal to share among all free men and women. It's a source of unity. Yet in every place our nation falls short of these ideals, I feel the spirit of insurrection should be alive and well. We all know that government is, is, governments do not grant rights. Okay? They either protect or trample on them. That's what governments do. A government can't grant you a right. It can recognize the right and defend it, or it can ignore the right and trample on it. Or a third way, it can recognize the right for some but not for others. In many ways, that's the worst of all. Because they keep the separation that way, and people feel like there is no problem because their rights are recognized while others are trampled on, and they figure those people must be bad. But that's it. I mean, the government has never been a source of rights. Only an I, someone that ignored the rights and trampled on them, or recognized them and upheld them. And here's something else we all know: once government takes a right away by increasing their power, they never give it back willingly. No government's ever said, you know, we were we were just wrong. We're sorry. You can have these rights back. We'll we'll stop trampling on them without resistance, without somebody pushing back, without insurrection. It doesn't happen. It is only through rebellion and insurrection that power is taken from the state. And words like revolution, rebellion, and insurrection conjure up images of violent resistance. Yet the state is violence. The state is force. And the state is very good at these things. Hence, we do not strike the opponent where he is strong. We strike where he is weak. So our insurrection should take, in many instances, the approach of being peaceable, almost pacifist in many ways, yet warrior-like. I, I, again, I want to kind of reiterate what I said at the beginning. In America, we have to accept something. If we're, if we're going to have any pride in the name America at all, insurrection is America. Without it, there's no America. If everybody in our nation, before it was America, when it was the colonies, had followed the law, we would have remained a British colony in perpetuity. We would probably be some sort of uh, uh, offshot um, stepchild like Canada today had we not engaged in insurrection with the crown. So we shouldn't be afraid of the word insurrection. We shouldn't be afraid of the concept 
of insurrection. Because we are the result of insurrection. And the people that are most venerated in our past, as founders of our nation, were at the head of an insurrection. In their case, it was a violent insurrection. And there's a good reason for that. Many of the tactics and strategies that we're going to talk about today were not really doable the way that they are today at the time of our nation's founding. There's no internet. There's no electricity. The country was piss poor on a standpoint of roads. You know, roads were dirt, and, and even many of those were impassable. And, and the roads were only really available on the, most of the coastal area. There wasn't a lot of inland roads that really connected things very well. You'd have to go up and down the coastal roads and then offshoot into the interior, and the wilderness wasn't far away. This meant everything was fairly consolidated and therefore easily watched over by the tax collectors and the statists, and the appointed governors, and uh, the, you know, the soldiers that were put in place. And people were very dependent on cities, more so than today. And what I mean by that is, I live just, you know, what is it, 15-minute drive from the city? But if this were the colonial times, and I was the same distance from Fort Worth that I am, for instance, and Fort Worth was actually Philadelphia or something like that, you know, I, I had a pretty long ride. I'd have to spend a day to go and get supplies and come back. And that meant that I had to have quite a bit of interaction in highly populated areas where all of these people were. And everything was much more visible that was going on in the time. So cheating at your, your taxes and things was more difficult than it is today, for instance. I'm not saying to cheat on your taxes. I'm just saying when you look back, the options that the Continental Congress had were very, very limited compared to what we can do today. The concept of something like Bitcoin or Dashcoin or Ethereum, you know, virtual nations, apps like Cell 411 that circumvent the need for the systems that are endorsed by the state. Like these things that are available today are so far beyond. And they didn't have a republic. I mean, that's another thing we need to be grateful for, no matter how much we feel that the state is too large, the state is too powerful, the state is too oppressive. The fact that we do live in a democratically elected representative republic gives us options that the founders did not have. The founders couldn't put up an amendment that restricted the crown. I'm not saying that'll work, but at least it's an option. The founders couldn't discuss secession peacefully. We have states today discussing secession quite peacefully. What I mean by that is, I'm not saying that if they do it, it'll just be let go. But as soon as somebody talks about it, you know, people from the federal government don't show up and arrest them for even discussing it. Where the, the discussion of something like that at the time was grounds to be hanged or shot at the pleasure of the king. They had no alternatives. We do. And I think it's important that we understand them. And part of what we need to understand today is nations and countries versus states. I am a patriot to the nation of America, not so much to the state of America. And what do I mean by that? This nation is bound by ideology. And we have nut jobs, and we have people that are extremists on the left and the right, and some would even say it would be called the center. 
But in the end, there are certain ideals that the majority of Americans believe in in their heart, even if they're not manifesting them in their actions. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that's something that very few people object to. They're just not conscious of the fact that you can't say a person has a right to the pursuit of happiness if when they're doing things that don't hurt somebody else, you're interfering with it with force and coercion. That's where the conflict lies. But that conflict doesn't come from your fellow Americans. It comes from the state apparatus. You can have a nation without a state. You can have a nation without a state. Nations are groups of people bound by common ideals and a loyalty to each other. That doesn't require a, a, a government that we, as we think of now. And you can be totally loyal to the concepts of a nation while saying, I'm not loyal to the obedience to the state. And it's really not even about whether or not you're okay with the state or not. Say that you are. But are you okay with all the things the state says you have to do or are not supposed to do? And this goes back again to looking at things like the history of things like Nazi Germany. I know when people say that, people say, oh my God, it's so different. It's not. But it's, it's actually just to make the point. If, if, if something like that happened here, An entire class of people in this country were being rounded up, put in camps, and executed in gas chambers. And there was a family that you thought you could help escape. Would you do it? And even if you thought, I can't take the risk because of my own family, it's too risky, and you didn't do it, would you feel like you should have? And if the answer to both of those questions, or either of them, is yes, then what that means is you are not loyal to a state. You are not loyal to a law. You are loyal to a nation. And people say, well, what if everybody just decided what laws they were going to obey and what laws they weren't going to obey? Well, that's what people do right now. They're just not very organized and directed. And there's two types of people to make that decision. There are people that are truly criminals. So the reason I won't break into your house and steal your shit when I know you're not home, so you're not going to shoot me, so let's take that off the table, is not because armed men will come and look at the situation, try to figure out who did it, track me down and put me in a cage. Because the odds are that I could find a house, break into it, steal that person's shit, and totally get away with it. Because law enforcement's not going to put that much effort into it. Those of you that are in law enforcement that are, you know, are patrol officers, beat officers... Detectives, you know, comment on the blog today and tell me if I'm wrong. But I, I mean, I've been the victim of this through a company. We had a company that was victimized, had a whole bunch of stuff stolen. Police came out, took a report, and said, "Yeah, you know, unless some of this stuff shows up somewhere and we're able to identify it, we're, we're really not going to do anything. This is for your insurance. At least we're honest about it." So I could go. I have a neighbor next door. I know when they leave. I know when they come back. They would never suspect me. They have valuable stuff. I could go over there and take it right now. They would never know I did it, and no one would ever catch me. So why don't I do it? Morality. So you have two types of people that choose which laws to obey and which laws not to obey. The minority that choose to disobey laws that actually have victims that you should obey whether there's a state or not, and the vast majority who choose to disobey a law because it doesn't make any moral sense to them. When you're on a long, flat, straight road, and you can see for miles, and you know there's no danger, and you're pretty sure there's no police ahead of you, and some idiot at the state 
capital has dictated that the speed limit there is 35 miles an hour for some stupid reason, and you're doing 50, that's exactly what you're doing. You're choosing not to obey a law. You are, you are committing an act of insurrection. You're committing an act of sedition. You are directly and willfully disobeying the edict of the state. If you are a person that when you were under 21 years of age and your state had a law that said you had to be over 21 years of age to, to, to drink, and you had a connection that would buy you beer, and you and your buddy sat in the woods and drank beer and didn't bother anybody, you were doing the same thing. And the person that was your connection, in air quotes, they were doing the same thing too. They were making a decision. I know these people. I don't think they're really going to cause anybody any harm. I'm not buying them vodka, so they're not going to commit alcohol poisoning because they're too young to know what the you know what they're doing okay so i'm going to make this calculated risk i'm going to make 10 bucks they're going to get their beer everybody's going to go on their way and i'm going to trust that if they get caught they're not going to drop a dime on me now how many people in this audience were part of something like that at one point in your life people that have smoked cannabis in states where it's illegal have made a decision that this is my body i'm going to do what i want i'm not hurting you so piss off and leave me alone Now, people that have chosen not to, but don't want to interfere with the rights of someone else too, technically you're also committing an act of insurrection because if you're a good little state drone, what are you supposed to do when you find out that your neighbor is smoking pot? You're supposed to narc them out and turn them in. You know, California has a narc out on your neighbor's webpage to tattle on your neighbor if they move from out of state and they're in the state for more than 30 days without changing their tags to California tags. I wonder how often it gets used. Likely only by assholes. Well, if you're aware of it and you're a California resident and your neighbor has plates from Illinois and they've been in your state for 60 days and they're living in a house, obviously, and they have your duty, if you're a good citizen, according to the state, is to rat out your neighbor. When you don't, you're making a conscious decision to, to commit an insurrection. I'm not going to do this just because you say that I'm supposed to. I'm not going to mess with somebody else's life for no good reason. They're not hurting me. I don't really care if you get your taxes from them. If you've ever sold anything to anybody for cash and not reported it to the IRS, you've committed a direct act of sedition and insurrection. You have. So it can go all the way to hiding somebody in a totalitarian Nazi-like state. To simply, you know what, I worked my ass off on these projects in my garage that I sell for cash down at the swap meet. I'm not paying a government tax on that. And how many people know about somebody doing that and they don't go tell on them? And you start to understand what I'm talking about when I talk about insurrection. I'm talking about willful disobedience when the law is wrong. Or when we perceive that the law is wrong, so long as there's no victim. And you know what the state would say? Well, the victim is the people. That's why when they when they try a case against somebody, specifically when there is no direct victim to name, they say the case of the people versus you know Joe Blow, because Joe Blow has harmed the people by you know selling reloaded ammo without a license or something like that. Did anybody get shot with it? Especially somebody that didn't deserve it? No. 
did the guy that bought bought the ammo feel like he did he complain? Did he get ripped off? Was there not enough gunpowder? Was were the bullets made of I don't know glass instead of copper and lead? No. Well, then who's the victim? Well, the people because they were denied the the taxes and protections. See, this is how the state thinks. This is how they turn everybody on each other. And the reason that I've been on this for a while is it's important that people understand what's really going on and, and, and comprehend that this stuff is important and that they're already doing it. So we can start to see how it's, it's led to victories. Um, there's been a lot of insurrectionist victories in America since the American Revolution where not a shot was fired. Some of them shots were fired, usually by the state, by the way. Very few insurrections in this country were successful if the insurrectionists were using violence. And if they were, they were generally successful in spite of the violence, not due to it. Let's look at a couple. Civil rights. Civil rights is an example of an insurrectionist victory. When, when there were laws that said a black person had to sit in the back of the bus and give up their seat to a white person if there was no seat for the white person, that was a law. It was legal. So if you didn't support that, you were an insurrectionist. And if you were a black person and refused to give up your seat by the letter of the law, you were a criminal. Did that make you wrong? Do you think we should go back to that? We should go back to a, a, a time in history when if you were a certain color, certain things just weren't available to you? Now, let me give you my purest view of this as, as a voluntarist. If I'm running a business, and it's a private business, it's not paid for with public money, and I'm a racist asshole, and I don't want to deal with black people, I shouldn't have to. If I want to have a restaurant and be stupid enough to put no blacks on the window in 2017, I should be able to do it. I'm going to go broke. Really, really fast. Nobody's going to want to be seen coming in and out of the doors. It's almost like as society evolves, it has ways of policing itself without a state. But if I want to do that, that's fine. If I want to put up no gays, then I should be able to do that. Now, I don't know how I'm going to know that you're gay when you come in, but why would you want to? Why would you want to give me your money if I'm a bigoted prick that doesn't like you? So I'm fine with that. But when it comes to things like if we're going to have a state and you've taken the collective money of the people and now you're going to discriminate that service based on the person's color or race, then we, then we have, I have a huge problem with that. And it wasn't, it wasn't obedience that got things like the Civil Rights Act passed which without a state we wouldn't have needed, by the way. For those of you like, well, see, we needed the government. No, the government is the one that created a system that allowed people to use power, force, and coercion to discriminate against other people in the first place. It was disobedience. It was people seeing peaceful black protesters, unlike the Black Lives Matter movement of today, which is a bunch of racist assholes, peaceful people that really wanted equal standing, abused by law enforcement because they were told to leave, and they said, no, we're not leaving. That's what swung a lot of the opinion in America going, you can't treat people this way. You can't treat people like this. Gay rights is another example of that with gay marriage. I know many of you in this audience were totally opposed to it, and it was going to be the end of the world as we know it, and it's been around now for a couple of years, and nothing's happened. Do you understand that? Do you understand you don't even hear about it anymore? You know that one obnoxious lady from Tennessee that wouldn't issue licenses or whatever? 
All she had to do was get out of the way and let somebody else in the, in the office do it, but she wanted to make a stand over it. Like, you heard about that, and then some bullshit about somebody being sued here or there, but in the end, nothing really came of this. Nothing really came of this. God didn't smite America. You did, you, you, your resale value of your home didn't go down. Your kids weren't turned gay by the guy down the street marrying a guy named Steve. It, it just didn't happen, right? But the gay community refused to accept that you're just not part of this. Now, why was it a problem? Because the government created an institution of state-controlled marriage. Marriage is ancient. The concept of two people choosing to bond together is ancient. It predates everything that even remotely appears to look like a state or even a tribe. It's not something unique to humans that some, some creatures choose to mate for life. Geese do it, for God's sakes. A goose will not take another gander unless the gander dies or disappears. They will stay bonded for life. So it's an ancient practice that we got along fine with, with no state involvement for a very long time. But in our country, we decided that we would give certain privileges to the married that didn't go to the single and certain advantages to them. And not only that it would be done like employers would say, hey, you know what, if you're married, I will extend benefits to your spouse. The government said, you will do this if you hire someone. And they mandated it. And along the way, we got through the slavery thing, even though we hadn't had the Civil Rights Rebellion yet. But they didn't want, you know, blacks marrying whites. That was icky. Didn't want that. Trying to... Merge the races or something horrible like that. This is the real. This is the real story of this shit. So the states implemented marriage licenses. You can't get married without a license from the state, and there were other controls being enacted with that as well, including things like a woman that was married couldn't get credit without her husband's approval. Okay, and then eventually that all changed. And it actually became quite advantageous in society to have that little certificate of marriage in many ways. Now, should that privilege be there? I don't know, but the state made it that way. And then they turned to a class of people, gays, and said, you are not afforded these same protections and privileges. And keep in mind, a majority conservative court sided with the belief that equal protection under the law. That victory came because the gays wouldn't shut up. Now, it probably didn't come from the naked guy riding a giant inflatable penis down the middle of a street. That probably hurt the movement more than helped it. But it did come from people that were standing up and, and, and declaring themselves married, regardless of whether or not the state recognized it, which was illegal. It came from people like myself who said, I'm going to get myself ordained a minister since it's easy to do online. And if you're gay and you want to get married, I'll marry you. I don't give a shit what the state says. Now, is that because I'm gay or I want to support the gay movement or anything? I don't really even care. What you do that way with anybody, your wife, your same-sex partner, what have you, your three wives, if you're a polygamist, I don't care. It's not my business. I don't want to pay for what you're doing. 
I don't want to, but, but if you're going to offer one group of people, you know, protection, and then people will turn around, but Jack, what about, what about, uh, uh, people that, that want to have sex with children? Well, that's crime, and that should be a crime because children can't consent because they're not old enough. But they'll want all this. I don't care what they want. You, you can't lump in two women that say they're in love with each other and want to spend the rest of their life with each other with some pervert who wants to molest a 10 year old child. You can't do that. It's not fair. It's not right. Anybody with common sense can see that. Oh, but once you open the door, that you just you're just trying to cling to bigotry. Again, this happened years ago. Now, the whole world was going to end. It was all a disaster. It's all talk radio could talk about. And when it happened, nothing happened. Absolutely nothing in your life has changed at all since that decision. But that decision only came through insurrection, through people saying, "We don't care what you say." We're going to declare this anyway. And then because we have some federalism left in this country, individual states started to recognize it. But it all started with individual insurrection. How about gold ownership? Do you know it used to be illegal to own gold as an individual in this country? Do you know what happened in the 70s as we moved toward legalization of it? Activists did things like they posted pictures of themselves holding gold with a sign that says, Come arrest me. It got to a point where people looked around and said, why are we denying, this is based on what, World War II? It's the 70s, the whole country's screwed with stagflation. You're going to arrest somebody for owning gold? That is a direct, absolutely direct insurrectionist victory. How about home brewing? You know, it was up into the 70s, it was illegal to home brew, and into the 80s in some states it was still illegal to home brew. I think the last two states just finally got on board with it like a couple of years ago. I think like Missouri or somewhere like that, somewhere in the, the Mid-South, there's like one of the states that held out the longest. Um, we were still on the books, technically illegal to homebrew beer. But before it was legalized, there were books on how to do it. And trust me, there were people doing it. And there were places you could go and and get the materials to homebrew, and people were doing it. And eventually, the state realized, like, we don't really want to enforce this. In fact, we don't ever enforce this. Th this is not going to put Budweiser out of business. These people aren't hurting anybody, and we look really stupid. We look really stupid when we're out there talking about busting somebody for making some beer or wine in their house. So we're, we're just going to normalize that and make it like, oh, we said it's okay now. But it was a huge underground movement of homebrewers that, that were doing this anyway, long before the government ever said it was okay. What about prohibition? Do you think prohibition would ever have been repealed without the speakeasy? Now, there are other people that were really breaking the law out partying all hours of the night, doing crazy flapper dances and stuff like that, drinking homemade hooch. But eventually, there was such resistance to it. And then, like one of the greatest forces for true voluntarism is really what destroyed the, the, the momentum behind the Prohibition movement. Jury nullification. It became almost impossible to convict somebody for the illegal possession or consumption of alcohol. People just went, so you 
you you caught him with uh, a couple cases of beer in his truck, yeah? Yeah, not guilty. See, once people figured out, you know, what? We can just say not guilty? Because that's Tom. He lives next door to me. I'm a jury of his peers. I don't want to put Tom in jail. I can just say not guilty? Could you imagine if 80% of Americans decided today we will not vote guilty for possession of cannabis? We just won't. You'd never get a jury with a majority to get a conviction for cannabis ever again. Now, we're not there. I'm not suggesting you go out in places where it's still illegal and plant, you know, 20 pot plants in your front yard or something like that, because you will go to, you will go to jail, probably prison, because they'll say it's intended to distribute, et cetera. And even in the states sometimes where it's legal now, they'll, they'll, you're getting in the way of our licensing money and shit like that, right? But it, it, with prohibition, it was just this direct defiance and eventual jury nullification. The law had no teeth. People stopped even caring. The police stopped enforcing it. And eventually, like, the silliness had to go away, and the government realized they were losing a lot of money, and they repealed it so they could put a tax back on it. You know? Well, depression never hurts that happen either, but I'm just saying. How about raw milk? Now, in my notes today, it says, Insurrection Victories in America. And in a parenthesis, it says, Note that one can have victory without total victory. So I know when I say raw, raw milk, you're going to say, but Jack, there's still a lot of places where that's illegal. People have been busted for it, etc. Yeah, but it's. do you see the momentum that the wind is blowing with raw milk? And it, it started with things like, well, one state legalized it, the other state made it illegal, and people had gray market businesses where they would go across the state lines, load up on raw milk, and bring it back for all their friends. The, 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 the fact that the state says you can't drink milk out of a cow is proof that I'm right when I say we need insurrection in America today. And this is going to continue and continue and continue. And what happens is, all of the bullshit, see, what you're doing is you're deflating the bullshit sack of the state. Right? Because all politicians do, blah, 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 blah. All it is is bullshit. Hot air bullshit. They blow up a great big bag of bullshit. They write a bunch of slogans on the bag, and they stick it in your face. Children are going to get sick. It's not healthy. It's dangerous. You need this for your safety. The American Dairy Farmers Association says so. Blah, 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 blah. But when half the states have completely legalized raw milk and people aren't dying from it, it's like somebody walks up to that, that big giant bag and goes, hey, kid, nice little balloon you got there. Takes a big drag on a cigarette and goes, pop. People stop believing it. So what does it lead to? Greater insurrection. And what does that lead to? Eventually, the state seeks to survive. And when the insurrectionists have momentum and you can't stop it without looking too oppressive and ending up with a bigger insurrection, you capitulate. Same thing with cannabis. Total victory has not yet been achieved. But most states today, a person that has a plant is not going to jail. Especially a small amount or small number of said plants. Most states. We've gotten to a point where that's actually a majority. And I even know, like, Texas, it's, it's going to be one of the last to fall. They're working on it again. I hope they get it through. But I've talked to law enforcement officers around here. And they're like, you know, I, I talked to one. Here's what he said. He said, our chief is still big on this. He still wants us to pursue this heavily. So right in this is Tarrant County. Right now, if I get somebody with a half ounce of grass, it's a ticket. 
But if they fight it at all, basically it's thrown, it's just held as a ticket. They can actually be like a misdemeanor where they can actually do some jail time or something like that. And when it gets up to county, they just downgrade it and they give the guy like a small ticket on it. But our chief wants us to push on it anyway. So I just don't do it. I catch a guy with an ounce of grass, I make a judgment call. Is this guy going to probably cause more trouble tonight? I have him dump it out somewhere. Or if I think he's just on his way home and not bothering anybody, think better about where you keep that next time. It might not be me. Bye. Now, if that's happening in Texas, okay, what do you think's happening everywhere else? See, with, with the, 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 the individual officers don't even want to deal with this anymore. Like, I got shit to do. I don't have time for this. There's a crack house over there that's committing human trafficking with, and gun violence on the citizens around this, the, the community that we're not doing anything about. And you want me to, to, to mess this man's life up for an ounce of grass? Did, when I was a fraternity guy, before I joined the police force, I used to smoke? No, I'm not doing it. And it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before juries just won't do it anymore. Well, we caught him with ten plants in his house. So, not guilty. It's not yet, but it's coming. And it's all insurrection. Do you think if when the government outlawed cannabis so many years ago, everybody just obeyed, did any of this progress would have happened with, with normalization, legalization, decriminalization? And again, you can think cannabis is the worst thing in the world. That no one should smoke it. That doesn't mean that you have a right to prevent people from smoking it. You, you don't have to like something to, to, to be decent enough to not interfere and use force on other people to enforce your belief on them. Because alcohol. We saw that work in Prohibition, right? It wasn't a good idea. But alcohol kills thousands of people every year. You want to talk about something with the potential for abuse and to do harm to people. Do you know how many people a day die in the United States from alcohol poisoning? About six. I'm not talking about uh, cirrhosis of the liver, long-term damages, getting in a car and getting in a wreck and killing themselves or somebody else, and that's two. No, I'm talking about people that drink to the point where they just die from alcohol poisoning. About six a day. Do you know how many people die every day from cannabis use that way in the United States? Zero. You know how many die every year? Zero. No one ODs and dies on cannabis. No one. Not a single person. So if you're okay with a person drinking a vodka tonic, but you choose not to drink, but you're not okay with somebody smoking a bowl because you choose not to smoke, isn't there an inconsistency there? Isn't there a complete inconsistency there? Should we make smoking cigarettes... Illegal? But tobacco cigarettes? Illegal? Not say you can't smoke in public places or whatever, because I, you know, I get, I, I'm not so much for that, but I get why people want that. I have actually a conflict there, because I don't smoke, and I think when you smoke cigarettes, you stink. It is noxious and nasty. Stink. And I don't want to smell it. So when I find out that a restaurant has no smoking, I want to go there. But I think in a totally free society, I'd have plenty of choices. I think I'd have plenty of choices. And you'd have plenty of choices, too, if you like to smoke and you like to stink. And that's okay. But if you look at deaths due to long-term consequences of tobacco use versus cannabis, 
tobacco blows it away. So both of those substances are more dangerous to people immediately and long term than cannabis. But this one has to be illegal. And this is why people, this is why if you struggle with this, you're still thinking, because it's illegal. That's the only reason you feel so strongly about this. You're having allegiance to the state versus allegiance to the ideals of your nation. The ideals of your nation are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And what should have been said, so long as you're not harming your fellow man. We had some blights in our country at the time that didn't allow us to say that. Do you know what the words were actually supposed to be? Life, liberty, and property. But because of the dissent that would create between the North and the South over the issue of slavery, it was changed to pursuit of happiness. Because words matter. But the intent matters too. And I don't think the original intent of property meant other humans. It meant rightfully gained property, whatever form that might take. I'm just saying. And, and these are all victories. These are all absolute victories. Civil rights, gay rights, gold ownership, home brewing, prohibition, raw milk, cannabis. You know what's going to come next? Home distilling. Do you know how many people are doing home distilling right now? Just go on YouTube. How to make moonshine. It, 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 I'm not suggesting you do it, because I think sooner or later the government might make some kind of a show of force on these people, but there's people whole channels built around making moonshine. And no one's kicking their door in, because they don't have time. They don't have the resources. What they're still busting people for is when they sell it. But there's plenty of people doing that, too. There's, there's more people doing it today than there were doing it you know, in the, the 50s and the 40s when people were still running shine. They're a little bit smarter about how they're doing it. There's people building brands with it. I'm just saying. And if a person's smart about how they do it, they can stay in that gray market or black market area for a long time and be left alone. But they are also taking extreme risk. That's not a risk I would take right now. But it's always the people willing to take the risk that move a movement forward. Because what happens eventually is when they when proposed legislation comes up to legalize, let's say, home distillation, and all of the, ba the big bag of bullshit starts getting blown up, people are going to go blind, blah, 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 people will die, it'll explode. You, you say, well, you know, right now there's about estimated uh, 100,000 people doing it every day, and there's no fire department that's being called for explosions and nobody's going blind, and people aren't showing up at the emergency room with, you know, ethanol, or um, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, methanol poisoning. You know, the methanol, it'll make you go blind, you got to throw out the first bit. Most people that are making moonshine today, what they're making that comes out of their still has less methanol in it in total, without even discarding the, the, the heads, um, than an average bottle of whiskey does. Because they're making it out of pure sugar. So there's just, there's just not that much there to begin with. And the more places that it can be pointed to that it's going on, the less people believe the bullshit bubble. Because they're going, wait a minute, it's completely legal in New Zealand. Those guys aren't dying. I think it's illegal in Australia too, but you have this whole movement of people doing it all over the place. And what happens with this, and you gotta, again, you got to be careful. Don't go do nothing stupid, but... Here's what I mean by this. Most people that I talk to, if I say, have you ever had moonshine? Oh, yeah. And you say, not since this boom happened and it's on the liquor, like, you know, you know someone or you know someone that knows someone. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that person already has decided that that law should not apply. 
The minute somebody hands you a pint jar of corn liquor and you take a sip of it, you've just decided that law shouldn't be there. So what percentage of the country do you think maybe is in that category? That's either made some or tried some or and doesn't have a problem with it. If you showed up at a party at their house and you brought a little bit of your own homemade hooch, they'd say, oh, that's great, glad you bought that. Okay, so how long, see, and the more it's shared and exposed and nobody dies, nobody gets sick, the world doesn't end, God doesn't smite you with the back of his hand or whatever, the more people go, why, why do we need this? And when the excuses come up as to why we need it, people stop believing it. And then the insurrection grows and then eventually the state capitulates. It's the same in all of these issues, and it's always been this way throughout history. So, why am I talking about this thing? Well, number one, I believe it is better to rebel before you have to. I think the worst revolutions and worst insurrections in the history of the world have been when there was no other option. That's when fires get set, that's when people die, that's when bombs go off, that's when bullets tear through flesh. That That's when, we, when you wait until the only thing you have left is violence. Then you end up face-to-face -face with an entity who majors in violence. The state's purpose is violence and force. That is the only reason we have a state, for the application of violence and force. The form of the state we take is to limit that violence and force to what the majority of people de 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 deem acceptable. So if you think about it this way, if we go back to an extreme, if some guy goes out in the middle of a street for no reason at all, takes a baseball bat, caves somebody else's head in that wasn't doing anything to him, kills him, almost any person with a brain is okay with force and violence being used to make sure that person is apprehended and cannot do that again. They're a risk to other people. Up to the point if somebody sees it and he's still got the club and he's going for somebody else, and somebody pulls out a gun and blows his brains out, regardless of the law, most people are like, good. So the state exists, so in instances like that, there is a, a recourse of violence that's organized and designed to create stability. The problem is, all states grow. All states seek, all states seek more to survive than anything else. They all become bloated. And eventually, you've passed a law about everything that actually has a victim, but you got to keep making laws so you go into an unsustainable mode, and eventually states collapse under their own weight. It's the way it's been for every state. Even, even nations that we think of as being around for you know thousands of years, they really weren't. The name stayed the same, but the management changed. Okay? It's the way to think of it. Under a collapse and then a rebuilding under the same brand, but it's, it's, it's completely new management, all right? None of the old guard is left. It's gone. And everything that was is reborn as something new because that's how states are going to work. So if we accept the fact that the state exists for the application of violence and force and that states grow indefinitely unless checked, that eventually violence and force is applied to people who should not be having violence and force used against them. Therefore, the state is the problem. And continuous rebellion against the state to prevent its growth and to pre prevent abuse of that violence and force is necessary even if you're not a voluntarist slash anarchist. Because it will go further than you're okay with. And I would ask you this today, those of you that still struggle when I use words like voluntarist or anarchist, has the state gone too far? 
at all? Are there any places where you feel that a state is using violence and force on people who should not have it used upon them, who are not a direct threat to anybody and should be left alone? And in, unless you're blind, like Tommy in the Pinball Wizard movie with a thing in your mouth and a thing over your eyes and a thing over your ears playing pinball, deaf, dumb, and blind man sure playing a mean pinball, unless you're that, your answer to that question is absolutely yes. We've all seen it. When they use force to go and tear somebody's front yard garden out, that's not okay. So how do we rebel? I think one of the best ways to rebel some I've been teaching for almost nine years now, grow your own food. When you cede any of your individual needs, you have less dependence on the systems and therefore less need for the state. That doesn't mean everybody has to have a giant garden, but do something. Another one is barter and side hustles. I know you don't think it makes that big of an impact, but the things we talked about today, it was mostly barter and side hustles that reached a fever pitch to where they were no longer containable. The, the, the state just couldn't get their arms around them anymore. Many of their enforcers refused to enforce the law. Some cases, juries refused to, 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 to give a, a guilty verdict. You'd have the guy sitting there going, yep, did it. Not guilty. What the hell? Sorry, I'm voting my conscience. If the Constitution says I'm able to. See, an informed population is huge. So another thing is self-directed learning and teaching other people. We have to be spreading knowledge. The only way you're ever going to get juries that start giving not guilty verdicts to victimless crimes as a matter of course is for people to know they even have the right to vote that way. But I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it in Facebook. I'm seeing people saying, I got jury duty tomorrow. I really don't want to go. And I'm seeing people say, oh, you should go. And do you know what jury nullification is? I'm seeing this in Facebook conversations. Right? No, never heard of it. Go here and learn this. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Ooh. Ooh. Now, let me explain something about jury duty. Number one, I'll get kicked out. It, it, when they do the jury selection, if they look into me at all, I'm going to get kicked out like that. But if I didn't get kicked out, let's say that there was a guy on trial as being a pedophile. And the state makes a compelling case. This man is a pedophile. I believe he's guilty. Will I throw him into the state's apparatus of a prison system, even though I don't like that prison system. You bet your ass I would. And remember Indiana Jones, where the guy's fighting him, the big guy, and there's a propeller behind him, and the plane's turning, and all of a sudden Indy just covers his head, and the guy like, and the plane just slices him up? Well, if you're a pedophile, I'd throw you into that. I'd throw you into a freaking wood chipper. So if my option is a state prison system, I, gee, you're lucky that's my only option. But if I have someone in front of me and they say, well, um, you know, he was running an illegal business, uh, a gambling business, not, and he didn't have a permit for it. Nice. I'd sit there spacing out through the whole thing because I don't need to know anymore. Right? If you don't have charges on them like, you know, uh, extortion or, you know, uh, Violent, you know, some kind of violent charge. Like if he was using, if he was going out and shooting his competitors to maintain his position, I'm not going to find him guilty on the gambling charge anyway. But I'd find him guilty on the violence charge because there's actually a victim there. You see how that works? But if it's just he had a he had an illegal poker site and he was running it from our state and therefore it's illegal. Great. Okay. Which verdict? Not guilty. 
Why? There's no victim. You know, these people lost lots of money. People lose money in Vegas all the time. I don't give a shit. The people are the victim. No, they're not. Not guilty. That's, that's the way that when we educate enough people about jury nullification, we can make the biggest difference. That's probably, if you wanted to grab one issue and make it your issue and tell everybody you know until they get tired of hearing about it, that is probably the biggest issue for change that can be made. Because most people sooner or later are going to be called to serve on a jury and about half of them are going to serve on juries for crimes with no victim. And if half of those half voted not guilty, you couldn't get a conviction ever again. You couldn't. Just something to think about. Another one is partaking in the gray market, whether it's as a provider or a customer. And it doesn't have to be, you know, drugs, moonshine, stuff like that. There's a lot of gray market, black market stuff that's, you know. There's places where it's illegal. Get this. It is illegal for you to make food in your kitchen, deliver it to somebody, and have them pay for it. But if somebody made really badass tacos and wanted to deliver them to my house once a week, I'd buy them. I'd buy them on pure spite. What are you going to do? Put me in prison for buying a taco? And if I was called on to testify to that person, it'd be like, yeah, Tom brings me tacos. Sells them? I don't buy tacos. Tom just gives me tacos. Don't know what you're talking about. You're lying under oath. That, that... In that case, I believe that law is unjust as well. If I thought I was at risk of perjury, I don't remember tacos. Well, this day we saw tacos come to your house. Did you? Because I, I don't remember any tacos. Are, are you going to prosecute me for receiving a taco? No, then I don't think I have anything else to say to you. I'm not going to help you convict Tom, the taco guy. That's the type of thing that I'm talking about when I say partake in the gray market. Do you know that when you go on cell 411 and say in a place where Uber has been outlawed, so now it's, it's, it's defaulted to cell 411, and say, I'm looking for a ride to the airport, somebody says, I'll give you a ride for, you know, 25 bucks, and you check that person's rep out, and like other people say he's cool, and you say, yeah, sure, pick me up at this time, and he picks you up, and you give him 25 bucks, you've just committed a crime, both of you? Is anybody going to do shit about it? Can anybody really do shit about it? I mean, think about it. And that's what I'm saying. When I say we have options our founders didn't have, we have an opportunity for a techno-anarchy in the best way that could ever be. And please, when you are watching TV... And they show these assholes from Antifa and stuff like that in masks, punching people and breaking windows and shit, and they're, and they're referred to as anarchists, and you're sitting there watching it with somebody else that doesn't know what you know, say, I really wish they'd stop using that word since they don't know the definition of it. And just say, that's not an anarchist. In, in the case of Antifa, they're supposed to be anti-fascists. They are actually textbook fascists. Those people are fascists. Which is another, fascism is just another form of socialism like communism. They're communists and fascists. Masquerading as populists. And hiding who they are because they know what they are. That's what they are. Alright. So, I also believe in what's called proactive apathy. Proactive apathy is really all of these things that we're talking about today. But it's also with a disregard for the state. Like, when the news comes on and they tell you all these things that are supposed to be important to your life that are not important to your life, you just don't give a shit. You just don't care. 
They say, well, well, this is important. North Korea might launch a missile. You know what? You're just using that as an excuse to misdirect our attention. North Korea is incapable of doing anything to the United States, and they're going to remain that way. And if they ever became capable of doing something to the United States, we could obliterate all life from the north part of the Korean Peninsula in seconds. They, there are no threat to us. They might be a threat to our allies. Yeah, they're really not either, because they know what will happen. Basically, it's, it's, it's like a Mexican standoff where the, the guy that started is going to be the one that ends up the most dead. But... Yet we don't want harm to come to South Korea, Japan, etc. Okay, fine. Let the crazy guy sit there. He's not even crazy. He's just an idiot. You know. And, 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 and shoot his mouth off. Because everything he's saying is for his people, not for you and me. And that's just one example. And there's so many places that our government makes us think it's important that we spend our time and attention on. Russia interfered with our elections. Do you want to tell me how many elections the United States has interfered with in the last 10 years? Because it's a big number. But it's okay when we do it because we're the good guys. You know, good ideas don't require force to get them done. Good ideas only require consensus and participation. So a proactive apathy is, I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to associate with people that are like me that think the way that I think. I'm going to ignore 90% of your bullshit. I'm only going to pay, atten to, pay attention to the 10% that actually affects me. And that 90% that I used to waste worrying about shit I couldn't affect, I'm going to now dedicate to figuring out how to deal with the 10% that does affect me and how to get out of it as much as I can. Proactive apathy. Self-directed learning, I already kind of touched on, but it's huge. Constantly educating yourself how to do things and, and what real history is. Because, man, everything you think you know about history is a lie. Even when it's the truth. Because it's mispresented. Absolutely. I'll just leave that at that for today. Uh, I believe in making what you would call a high return untaxable investment. Um, in many ways, that's what I'm doing here on my property. All these trees I plant and everything, our county tax assessor can't figure that out. Now, they'll jack my taxes up the same as they will my neighbor's. But I can make my property infinitely more valuable than my neighbors, and even though they're still extorting some tax out of me, I'm paying the same tax that they are, relatively speaking. Because if we make improvements to land that the state doesn't understand and can't comprehend and can't put a value on, then they can't increase your taxes. But those, in, you know, even if you sell your property someday, many times those improvements will be realized at that point. Those taxes are somebody else's problem. So you're off somewhere to do it again. But in any way that you can, make an investment in yourself or your life or the lives of others that is untaxable, that's where you should put most of your investment. Especially your investment of time and effort should go to things like that. How about learning about and using cryptocurrencies? I have a great guest coming on tomorrow. His name is Brandon Todd. He's going to talk to us about all types of things with cryptocurrency beyond Bitcoin and Ether. Really good, really good dude. And we are moving to a world now where you say, well, you can't get away with that. The government always knows. Well, not so much. What is, what is a completely anonymous cryptocurrency going to do to the government's ability to interfere with gray market activities? Let's take the black market out, but the gray market activities. 
The stuff that everybody kind of already gives a wink and a nod to anyway. It's going to make it all but impossible for them to, to stay on top of it. And what happens again? What did we learn today? When the momentum swings to the point that the state can no longer control the situation, they capitulate to it so they can get some piece of it for themselves. They make a deal. They say, we're well, just going to bring this all above ground and stop because we're, we're losing. Because what do they want? They want money. Money to the state is power. So when, when, they, when they're not getting any of it, eventually they back off so they can have some. That's the same in all of the victories that we've talked about today. And I think we need to be spreading voluntarist ideologies. I used the anarchy word a few times today, and I'll tell you why. This show is actually from some notes that I put together um, about 80 episodes ago, and I never did the episode. This, this show was originally going to be episode 1911, and I decided I didn't feel like doing it that day. And then I just kind of forgot about the, the main notes for this show and kind of put them aside. Since that time, I've pretty much abandoned the word anarchy. But because of the way I developed the notes, I kind of thought some of these things needed to be said today. But voluntarist ideologies are one of the easiest and most ideologies to spread and one that people are incredibly receptive to. When, when you say to somebody, well, I believe in voluntarism, you don't get any of the reaction when you say anarchy. Because they're not on TV going, this is not protesting, this is anarchy. They're not going, this is not protesting, this is voluntarism. They're not saying that, right? So let's not fight that battle anymore. But let's spread the idea to our friends and our families and our neighbors and our associates that it's just wrong when someone uses force or violence to interfere with someone else's life if that person isn't hurting anyone. And that all interactions between humans should be voluntary. Just those two little seats. That's it. Anything that you and I decide that we want to do amongst ourselves should be voluntary. You should not be able to force me to do something I don't want to do, and I shouldn't be able to force you. Now, if I'm going off to do something and you want to be with me, you might make a compromise. That's still voluntary. But I shouldn't be able to say to you, hey, look, I want to go to the movies tonight. And you're like, hey, I want to go fishing. And I go, well, I got a gun, and you're going to the movies with me. And if you think about it, in many instances, that's the, that's the kind of relationship the state has with the people. You're going to do this whether you want or not, or you're going to refrain from this whether you want to or not, even though there's nobody else being harmed. And don't, when you have the first, when you plant that seed, don't talk about the state. Don't use that word. Just talk about people. Because in the end, the state is people. You plant the seed and you let it grow. And have conversations with people when they're partaking in the gray market. How do you feel about the fact that this is illegal? Well, the person's obviously going to tell you they don't really give a shit because they wouldn't be doing it. So if, if you and your buddy are sitting there having some homemade hooch, and uh, you know, regardless of where the source is, and you say, well, you know that's illegal, and they're probably going to look at you like you're crazy because they're like, yeah, you're not a narc or something, are you, right? Well, yeah. Well, How do you feel about the fact that it's illegal? How do you feel about the fact that technically we could be arrested for sitting here minding our own business? They're probably going to tell you, I think it's ridiculous. I do too. And the reason I think it's ridiculous is I think all interactions between people should be voluntary. What do you think about that? And I don't think people should be able to use force and violence to force their ideas about what's right and wrong on others as long as that person's not hurting anybody. What do you think about that? Hmm. Do you know what you are? 
I bet you didn't know this. You're a voluntarist. What's a voluntarist? Just stick it in your phone so you don't forget and Google it later and, and learn more about it. See, that's how you spread that ideology. You spread the ideal, ideology of two things. And I'm telling you, you are a force for good. And you are an actual force for good. I mean, things are going to happen because of it. Voluntarism and jury nullification. Those two things have the potential to transform our society. Why do you think the state gets their ass in such a bunch about jury nullification? Why do you think they hate the fact that somebody might, outside of a courtroom, hand out pamphlets notifying a juror of their right when it is, in fact, their right? Jury nullification is a recognized and protected right under the Constitution of the United States. A juror has a right to vote their conscience, regardless of the law. A right to do so. And a free and moral society stands on a principle that if something's truly wrong, the, the majority of jurors are always going to vote against it, even with that right. However, if something's not truly wrong, might won't make right, and an informed society will overturn unjust laws. That is a principle of this nation, and people have been charged with crimes for telling people doing that job that they have that right. So, what did I say? I think one of the most important things that I said in today's show is it is better to rebel before you have to. So see, when someone's going to a jury and they're going to be trying someone for a victimless crime, then you have to tell them. And that's the very time where the state might come after you for tampering with a jury. So when's it better to be insurrectionist with the concept of jury nullification when you're talking to people before they're on a jury. So it's already in their head. Hmm. Because once a person... See, here's the thing, and this is why the government hates this one thing more than all other things we talked about today. Jury nullification. Once that's in your head, short of having Alzheimer's or dementia, you can't get rid of it. Every single person that listened to this show today now knows, if you didn't already... That if I go to a jury, I have a right to vote my conscience. That's actually consistent. Even if I'm, if, if I love the idea of a republic, and I just think if it was my way, it would be better. But even if I love that, I have no interest in this voluntarism crap. I have that right. And then if you ever are sitting on that jury, you're going to look at the person and think, I have the power over this person's life now. I can literally ruin or restore their life. And what these people are telling me this person did is not something that harmed another person. And I don't think this is worth ruining their life over. I don't think this is worth stamping them with an F on their record for the rest of their life for felony where they are not even permitted the freedom to keep and bear arms again because they have not shown me a victim. I can't in good conscience, good faith, I can't, in front of my version of God, condemn this person, so I'm going to vote not guilty. It's in your head now. It'll never, ever, ever go away. It's like if you are on a jury and some piece of evidence gets presented to you and the court says, disregard that, you can't disregard it. You know it now. In that final moment where you have to put thumbs up or thumbs down on somebody's life, you're going to consider it. 
Don't you think it is the absolute right of anybody being asked to weigh the future of another human being's life, to know what their rights are that go along with their responsibilities and serving in that capacity? If so, tell people about it. You spread the ideas of voluntarism and jury nullification, we can change this country faster than you can imagine, for the better. Here's why. Even for people that want a stateless society, it only works on truly immoral abuse of force by the state. That None of those things will work on the child molester or the thug that beats people up or the guy that breaks in people's houses or the extortionist. None of those, none of those things are a threat to convicting those people or maintaining laws against them. Now, as you destroy the apparatus of the state, eventually it gets replaced with other things, but if you don't want it to go there, those things aren't a direct threat to that. But what if everybody did it? What a great place to live. What a great place to live where everybody accused of a crime has a right to trial by jury, and every juror that ever serves in a jury has two burdens for the state. One, you must show me this person is guilty of the crime you've accused them of. Two, you're going to have to show me a victim. You're going to have to show me someone who's been harmed by this person's activities, and I'm only willing to convict them of something commensurate with restitution for that level of crime. So if they're being charged with something that carries a 20-year sentence, and the most you can show me is they've done $1,000 worth of damage to somebody's property, I hope you brought a second charge for vandalism or whatever, because I can totally find them guilty for that. But since you can't show me a victim to this crime... I, I can't give you a guilty verdict. I'm not going to ruin this person's life when, when you can't show me a single person who's been harmed by the activity you want to put them away for 20 years or 10 years for. You want to give them a felony. Even when they get out, they're going to walk around with a stigma. It's going to disrupt their life, their ability to earn a living. You can't show me a victim. I can't give you a guilty. Who's that dangerous to? The apparatus of the state itself. Because half of what it does is that. I'll be fair to the state today, something I'm not good at. About half of the criminal justice system does punish people who commit crimes with victims. Sometimes I think that's overused, and sometimes I think it's underused, but that's a problem I'm willing to shelve and solve later, because at least the people in that 50 percentile actually hurt somebody. And about half of the people that end up in our criminal justice system are there for a crime with absolutely nobody who's a victim. And just just think about it. Just think about what a society would be like if every single person ever called to serve said, you must convince me of two things, not one. That the person did it, and two, that there's a victim. How about three, that the law is moral and just in the first place? How about those three? Could change the world. And now you know. So tell others. With that, if you enjoyed today's show, one of the ways that you can support the work that we do in educating and empowering people across the world is by doing your Amazon shopping through tspaz.com. Just go to T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. And when you go to tspaz.com, you'll see a link. And when you see that link and you click that link, you'll go to amazon.com. You'll see their deals of the day. From there, you can search and find stuff. Whatever you find and buy, yeah, we get credit for it as the affiliate. So the stuff that you're, like, if you're thinking today, I need to go to Amazon and buy this, that, and the other, just go through T-SPAS before you do it, and you'll help support our show. But I also review stuff every day. 
So today what I was doing, I was looking again through all of the items we recommended last year. And I was looking at the list of the top 50 items that we listed. And I noticed that the iSelector nylon braided lightning cable charging cables for the iPhone was one of the top sellers by, by numbers, by total units uh, for last year. And I was thinking maybe I should resurrect that and do uh, like a, you know, a, basically a, um, an encore item, as I call it. And when I looked it up, I realized, well, I never actually made that an item of the day. It was before I had item of the day. I just, it was one of those things I liked so much that I did a blog post about it um, way early in 2016, before I really kind of ramped up the Amazon program. And I thought I should make it an item of the day so, it's, it's, so you can find it through the Amazon item of the day tags and stuff like that. And uh, so I brought it back around. Well, when I went to look it up, I was a little dismayed because it was no longer available. No longer available. And I was like, man, I, I use these things. The iSelector uh, nylon braided lightning cable is the toughest cable for the iPhone that you'll find, lightning cables. So all of the stuff with lightning cables uh, forward with the iPhone. Just outstanding. Tough as nails. I mean, I've taken one and beaten a desk with it to see if I could mess it up, and I couldn't. They last damn near forever. And they're like 26 bucks for three. So they're $8 and change a piece. Um, so they're very, very affordable. Because an iPhone lightning cable from Apple's $20 something dollars for one cable versus $25 for three. And uh, when, I, when I looked them up, I was like, I can't believe that they're, you know, not available anymore. So I checked iSelector's uh, Amazon seller's profile and found out they just have them under a new SKU. So I found a new SKU, did a new post. These things are awesome. If you're tired of iPhone cables wearing out and you want the best you know, cables for your charging needs, these are them, and they're some of the most affordable, uh, and they always work. They're not one of these things that, like, well, sometimes it works. Sometimes, a lot of stuff is not really Apple certified. I know there's also a huge number of you guys um, that use Android phones as well. So I actually have a cable for Android as well. It's even and it sounds very similar, but it's it's a different company, different product altogether, and it's the iSeeker nylon braided tangle-free micro USB cables. I recommend in your go bag, your bug out bag, whatever you want to call it, you have at least one of each of these, and they both are sold in three packs, so you have plenty of extras because you don't know when you might be somewhere where you need to charge a micro USB device, you need to help somebody else with that, and you want that cable that's in that bag shoved in there to work when you pull it out six months to a year from now, and that bag's been beat around. These will work. Um, they're the only thing I buy. The only, you know, white iPhone charging cables I have are the ones that came with the phone because I'm not going to throw them away until they wear out, which they do way faster than these ones do. So check them out today, and remember, you can always support the work we do uh, by doing your Amazon shopping through tspaz.com. So today's song of the day is an interesting one. It kind of fits really good in with today's subject. And again, it's been very fortuitous the way these songs, most of them anyway, have lined up with the episode since John Adam has taken over picking out songs from the year that was the episode. And uh, today's song is, you know, I've talked about how I kind of got out of the world of like alternative rock and stuff like that uh, through the early 90s. And a lot of the music that's from, let's say, 1989 to 1995, I'm not real familiar with. About 96 was when I came into this circle of friends and I met my wife and I started going out to bars again that weren't always country bars uh, and expanded my circle of friends and kind of got back into it. And this was when Matchbox 20 came on the scene. 
And I remember the album that this song came from. I had it. Um, it's still in my, all the songs from this album are still in my playlists today. I actually have a Pandora station that's built on Matchbox 20. I like them that much. And this song is perfect for today's show. It's called The Real World. Now, the reason it's perfect, though, is really more the little note here from, um, from John Adam. He says, high school dropout Rob Thomas formed Matchbox 20 at the age of 18 and became a prolific songwriter. Politically, Thomas considers himself fairly liberal as a guy. He's a strong supporter of gay rights and wrote a piece in favor of legalizing same-sex marriage at a, at, on the blog at Huffington Post in 2009. He closed the article by writing, Each of us has a short ride on this earth, and as long as we stay in our lane and don't affect someone else's ride, we should be allowed to drive as we see fit, end quote. I like this quote from him. Yeah, I do too. And, and I wonder how many liberals that if I gave them that quote and didn't give them any context, I mean true political liberals, let me say it again, each of us has a short ride on this earth, and as long as we stay in our lane and don't affect someone else's ride, we should be allowed to drive as we see fit, end quote. And that means I don't have to care, be in favor of the way you choose to drive, just that you stay in your own lane and don't bother me. I think most of them would say I completely agree with that. How many conservatives do you think would say that? Would agree with that. I think most would as well. I think most dyed-in-the-wool GOP-voting, Trump-supporting conservatives would say, you know, as long as we stay in our lane and don't affect somebody else's, we should be able to drive the way we want. Yeah. Yeah, especially when they understand it's a metaphor and you're not talking about driving down the highway at 190 miles an hour. But yet there's an inconsistency there that we kind of beat up today, so I won't go back into it. But that's a very voluntarist message. That's not a liberal message. I guess it's classically liberal, but I don't know where all the classic liberals are. The ones that claim to be classic liberals never are. They never are. They're always for big government. But classically liberal is exactly that. Do whatever you want. Classically liberal is libertarianism. At best, at the, the, the most extreme, it's, it's minarchist libertarianism. To pure libertarianism. It's one, you know, somewhere in that spectrum. That's what true classic liberalism is. What we call liberalism today is not liberalism. The same thing with conservatives, though. They're the ones that are in the way of things like gay marriage and cannabis, you know, decriminalization and things like that. Why? Why? As long as that person's not bothering you. You know? Leave it be. So I, I like that quote as well, even though I may not, I have a, a big feeling that I may not agree with Rob Thomas's full political viewpoint. But I certainly like that quote. I agree with John Adam. Now this song, I wish the real world would just stop hassling me. That could almost be a voluntarist anthem, if you think about it. You know, it, the song's also a love song, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. If you listen to the words, you'll hear, please don't go. But you're the only one that makes this all okay. Right? So, I have all of this turmoil around me, but you here in the center of my life That makes it all work. That, that's that's the, actually the core of this song. But that whole concept of the real world stop hassling me. I have a solution to you if the real world's always hassling you. Proactive apathy. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life. It's time for you to get up or even if they don't. What I wonder what it's like to be the rainmaker. I wonder what it's like to know that I made the rain I'd store it in boxes with little yellow tags on
have to be a superhero I wonder where I'd go if I could fly around downtown Well, I shout out a north. 